Well, good morning. How are you this morning? Uh, I was sure uh, blessed and encouraged by Gerald's uh, community meditation a little while ago. I hope you were too. Uh, my goodness, it's, it's sure easy for us to be sidetracked. And so I pray that uh, that message spoke to you as much as it did to me. Uh, needed to hear that this morning. And got some more good news for you this morning as we get going into our time of message. Uh, there is, believe it or not, a life-changing diet plan that I've become familiar with. Hard to tell by looking at me. But life-changing diet plan I've become familiar with, and I want to pass the exciting news about it on to all of you as well. Now, you've heard of keto, right? Did I pronounce that right? Heard of it. Not sure if I said it right, though. Heard of Atkins. Remember that one? That was popular a few years back. There's a million others. But this one, this one's called Church Potluck. This is called the church pot. Yeah, this is called church potluck diet. The church potluck diet is the best around. The church potluck diet works like this. You can eat as much of anything as you could possibly want. As long as A, it's been brought into the church potluck dinner you're having. There are a couple rules. It has to be brought in that day to the, to the dinner. And B, you're surrounded by other believers eating it. Those are the only rules for the church potluck dinner. Now, here's the thing. While you might not actually lose any weight, or you might not actually improve your health at all on the church potluck diet, in fact, you might actually gain quite a bit of weight, might even get sick from it. That happens sometimes. It's possible. But there's no guilt attached to it at all. That's the best part of the church potluck diet. It's a free pass. Free pass, countless bread, bread, all the breaded meat slices and pizzas and rolls and sandwiches and pot, which are pasta, the five carb food groups. Any quantity, any, any toppings, there's endless variety of foods on the designated church potluck dessert table. It's always my favorite. I like to start there. Your recipe for those deep fried butter balls has a time and a place. Can't eat them at home, no problem, bring them to potluck, right? But here's the thing about the church potluck dinner that can be sobering. Here's the problem. The average attendee of the church potluck smorgasbord has just left this table. We, we've just left this table uh, when we go back to that table. Our physical bodies have just had communion. We mentioned a little bit ago, we've just shared in Christ consumption. And we go from Christ consumption to a full-fledged binge of calorie consumption. Now, the sin of self-indulgence over self-denial, or every occasion we choose gluttony over glorifying God, or as one author writes, every time we've worshipped and served the cafeteria rather than the Creator... All of these physical sins from within the body of Christ contribute to the reason that Jesus died on the cross. That's the ironic part here. But forget that because good bread, good meat, thank you, God, let's eat. Amen. Now, I realize that when I, when I leave this place, uh, post-worship lunchtime, Jesus has set me free. It's still rolling around my head from this sin of eating and drinking and living to excess. So why is it I feel justified in prioritizing my stomach over the spirit? Seems like a funny uh, transition, doesn't it? Well, I think the thinking goes like this. I've just finished a morning, a first day of the week service to God. 
I got up early. I came to the church building. I made it to Sunday school almost on time. I went through the worship service. As far as habit and tradition and culture is concerned, I've checked that box for Sunday service. I've met my Sunday quota for worship as a Christian, but now it's lunchtime. Now it's lunchtime. That's my time. Right? It's my time. Yes, you can eat. God expects you to eat. But when the clock strikes 12, it's not like Cinderella. We don't go back to the old me. Here's the thing this morning. God gave each one of us a body, right? How often do we ask this question, though? Whose body is it? How often do we let the Spirit continue to pierce us when we leave this place, when we leave this room? When we go about our daily lives, we heard Mike read earlier. Are you, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You're not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your in your body. A friend of mine and I used to uh, joke that calories consumed in Christian fellowship don't actually count. That's in the book of Second Calories somewhere. Trouble is, I've never actually been able to find the book of Second Calories. I've looked for it, but we send mixed signals don't we? We send mixed signals to one another. We send mixed signals when we leave this place. The church potluck dinner is, is a good thing, a good time of fellowship. But if our bodies are actual physical locations in which the Holy Spirit of God lives and works and witnesses about Jesus to the world, when it is time to eat, how do we respond? Does that mean it's time for that uh, $15 billion stake down at the uh, roadhouse? Do we count gluttony as a sin in the church? Because we should. We should. Am I justified in celebrating the all-you-can-eat buffet all the time for my body? Well, whose body is it anyway? That's our question for this morning. It's week two of the UPIC sermon series. We've, we're answering the question that's been submitted. Will God forgive me for mistreating my body? And that's an excellent question. Excellent question. Will God forgive me for mistreating my body? And the answer is this. My friend, if you're a baptized believer in Jesus Christ, he already has. He's already forgiven you for that. The Bible says when you, when you come up out of those waters of baptism, we mentioned that earlier, every sin that you're going to come up with in the body has already been covered by the blood of Jesus on the cross of Calvary. Acts 2.38, that's really good news. Uh, this includes any kind of overindulgence, any kind of gluttony. But here's the part that may be hard to swallow. You may be forgiven of this sin, but it doesn't mean you're still free to engage in it doesn't mean you can still do what you want. Yes, you're physically a living and breathing vehicle for Jesus Christ. So if the sin is gone, that means the sin must go. Amen? The sin must go. There's no longer any place for sin of any kind in the physical body, little b, once it becomes a part of the church or Christ's body, big B. Now I want some coffee. I said Big B. I don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. I, I like church potlucks. If you ever hear a, hear a preacher say church potlucks are off, send them to a neurologist. Wait a minute. I haven't seen one of those guys. But the point here is next time we have one of those potlucks, watch your preacher. 
Watch me, will you? Hold me accountable because I have a tendency to get a little bit carried away with the hot dogs. You know, preacher, we just hadn't noticed that about you. My childhood nickname was, was Ween, W-E-E-N. Uh, it was short for Wiener because you are what you eat. Think about that the next time you're tempted to pick up some Twinkies. But I think we, we have this problem, see, where we, we like to compartmentalize our faith, and it really hits home with this, with gluttony, with stewardship, with physical stewardship. I like to make a separation between what I'm doing in the physical world and what Jesus expects from me. Maybe you struggle with this, too. On my time, right, my food life couldn't have anything to do, uh, anything possible to do with my serving God life, right? The problem is, if I'm not careful with this mindset that this is my body and I'm on my time, this carefree church potluck diet that I love so much, it's going to be a problem for me, not just when it comes to overindulging in prepackaged meat products, but also when I'm tempted by other physical aspects of this world. Maybe, maybe some of you have fought or, or fight a similar battle with food. We, we like to joke about it. But this is serious stuff. You know you belong to Jesus, but you've also had fettuccine Alfredo, and you believe you could be fat and happy the rest of your life if somebody would just put up an Italian eatery next door. I've moved on from the Cracker Barrel thing, folks. I've moved on. Alfredo. You think the church could ever be guilty of collectively mistreating the physical body together and then justifying it? It's been known to happen. And not just as potluck dinners. The occasion of our text this morning follows the Apostle Paul's extremely fruitful time in ministry to the church at Corinth. The, the Corinthian church. You, you can read about this in your Bibles in Acts chapter 18. I might get those Bibles out if you've got them handy. We're going we're to be jumping around a little bit today in them. After leaving Corinth, where, where Paul served, he went on to Ephesus. He briefly ministered there. He left and returned again. And during the second period of time in which Paul was physically present with the Ephesians, he began receiving reports from Corinth that things were not going so well with the church there. There were divisions and quarrels, and there was this very pervasive uh, problem of, immor of immorality hindering the Corinthians. They just weren't understanding whose body they were, who they belonged to. There were pagan practices of, of the people from before their conversions. It was a part of the culture, which they should have re-examined. They should have put into perspective after receiving Jesus Christ. And these physical appetites of theirs were causing a problem for these Corinthian members of Christ's body. Again, Big B. As God provided physical food for the physical body as a blessing and for a nourishment, yes, for enjoyment, so often our diets can be uh, out of control, out of boundary, gluttonous, excessive, right? That's ha that happens often. Similarly, as God provided uh, physical intimacy as a blessing, our, our sexual lives can also be out of God's design boundaries for Christian living. This was the case for the church at Corinth. This is what was happening with the Corinthians. Why? Well, they'd forgotten the answer to the question, whose body is it? 
with the who being Jesus Christ. Two chapters prior to the text in 1 Corinthians, I believe we've got some of this on the overhead. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Paul draws their uh, attention, uh, to, there, there it is, to a situation, an out-of-boundary situation with the church. This was being tolerated, tolerated within the church. A man was living with his father's wife. And by the way, this wasn't just a secret, uh, promiscuous relationship. It wasn't just being uh, kept hush-hush. Uh, the church was, was collectively supporting it. They were tolerating it, bragging about it, as though somebody managed to break a record eating the most steak at a roadhouse somewhere. How does Paul respond to the church? How does he respond to the church? He says, 1 Corinthians 5, verse 9. 1 Corinthians 5, verse 9, that those people who are out of God's boundaries in this manner, in this context, we're talking sexually. This is such a problem for the body as a whole, for the body of Jesus as a whole, that verse 11, they shouldn't even invite these people to their, uh, the equivalent of their church potlucks. Don't even eat with such a brother, Paul says. In verse 12 of 1 Corinthians 5, he says, is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? They weren't doing this. Look in your Bibles with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. It's right there in chapter 6. Right after uh, Paul calls the church out at Corinth for wanting to appear righteous in judgment before the world. You know, in court. And this is after the Corinthian church can't even pass the right judgment over its own immorality. Can't even deal with this situation in chapter 6 verse 1. Then, what does Paul do in verses 9 to 11? Of chapter 6. He hammers it home that Christ has changed his people. They've been changed. The church is a different group of people now. They were once unrighteous. They were once immoral, greedy, drunkards, and so on. Living to excess. This was no longer the case. No longer were their physical bodies their own. Their bodies were members of Christ. Verse 15. Paul says, you can't tolerate this. This can't be from among your number. This sinful relationship has to go. But see, here's the problem. Culturally, this relationship was no big deal. But purity was a big deal to the witness of the Church of Christ in Corinth. The Corinthian people couldn't be part of the body and still have the same bodily appetites as the world around them. You know, as our culture today uh, tells us, have it your way on a sesame seed bun, how often do we hear this? Uh, you know, uh, triple's not big enough. You know, let's, let's go with this quadruple patty melt. Some of us turn a, a, a blind eye to the sin of gluttony. Similarly, the Corinthian culture in Paul's day said, have it your way relationally. Members of the church were therefore turning a blind eye to sexual sin. Why were they doing so? Well, the cult of Aphrodite, the goddess of love, the fact that Corinth was a high-profile trader's point, it connected the Mediterranean with the West, the area was constantly full of merchants, sailors, and temple prostitution. You think you once lived near the bad part of town, relationships between Corinthian slaves and local patrons, and uh, between teachers and students, situations with which today these turn heads. Uh, they make headlines in our culture. These were common fare to the Corinthian people. Common fare. This was the depravity of the culture. 
But I think you get the point. Our smorgasbord of carbohydrates at the American Lunch Buffet is, is comparable indeed to the Corinthians' spread of socially accepted human trafficking. It's basically what it was. But isn't it interesting that before Jesus comes to town, we are people obsessed with the things of the flesh. But how the Holy Spirit changes all that. The Holy Spirit changes all that if we let him, amen? So when we land on the right answer to the question, whose body is it anyway? Maybe this will answer a few other questions for us, no matter when we live or where, such as how do I glorify God in my body? Verse 20 of our text. Well, simply put, instead of giving in to self-indulgence, says our culture around us, give in, do it, whatever feels good, whatever tastes good, we have to be people of self-control. This is part of the calling. This is part of being made new. It's not going to be easy because some of us probably have a Corinthian appetite for ding-dongs. And the excuses come easy. They come easy in our culture. There's an old story uh, told about a guy who, who tried to give up sweets in his diet to fight off temptation for them, he began altering his drive to work to avoid passing his favorite bakery. Uh, rerouted by an, by an accident on the alternate route via a GPS, he managed to drive by the bakery one morning. And as he approached, guess what he saw in the window? Uh, all those chocolates, all those cheesecakes, all those donuts, all those pastries. Making you hungry, aren't I? All that good stuff. Deciding this occasion to be no accident, no coincidence. He began praying, Lord, it's up to you. It's all up to you, God. You brought me this way. And if you want me to have any of these scrumptious desserts in this bakery window, God, I ask that you reveal your will to me by creating a parking place directly in front of the bakery. Arriving to work late, with a single box of each sugary delight. He shared the story uh, with his secretary saying, sure enough, God provided a parking place. It only took eight times around the block for him to reveal it to me. <laughs> now we laugh, but that's what we do. We laugh at self-control too, don't we? Because self-control is a nice idea. Sounds good. We like to hear it. But it's not anything we actually consider required of a Jesus follower, right? Some of us don't even uh, try to hide the fact that we have no self-control. And yet, how many times have we read that list of the fruit of the Spirit from Galatians 5, where self-control is, amazingly enough, the final fruit of the uh, spiritual loom, you might say, as in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control? Oh, yeah, that's in there. It's not just a tack on. And here's the other problem. These aren't just individual fruits that we bear. We either bear this fruit as members of the body of Christ or we don't. The popular pagan god of today isn't uh, Aphrodite, but if we wanted to, we could probably uh, pick one or two we've built towers to in the land of the golden arches, couldn't we? This sounds like crazy talk, but 
60% of Americans, 60% or three out of every five people in this country are overweight. One number of the quarter, uh, one quarter of the people are obese, technically meaning 20 pounds too heavy. Whose bodies do we belong to? Author Carrie Newoff writes, food is the drug of choice for many Christians. It's number one. But being full on food doesn't cure the emptiness of the God-given soul. Unfortunately, it's not that easy. And so, God, forgive us for mistreating our bodies, mistreating your bodies. But this isn't just a sermon about food. What goes in the mouth isn't the only way we've been culturally conditioned to mistreat these temples. Sometimes it's what we eat. Sometimes it's what we breathe. In 2005, just uh, 14 years ago, 20.9% of Americans were cigarette smokers. In 2016, the number was down to 15.5%. We might say, oh, those numbers sound good, but that's actually a total of 38 million American adults with an addiction to today what was being referred to in the slang 50 years ago as a pack of cancer sticks, right? We've known about this. It's not brand new news. Sometimes we mistreat God's body in what we breathe or eat or drink. When it comes to alcohol abuse in 2015, 26.9% or one quarter or one out of every four Americans aged 18 or older reported that they binged, drank monthly. 62,000 men, 26,000 women die of alcohol-related causes every year. That's 88,000 people a year mistreating themselves just in this country, folks, because we're strangers to self-control culturally. We don't practice it. And we have other ways of, of mistreating the body. A study from a couple of years back showed that one million people, one million were unemployed or unemployable due to a de dependence on opioid drugs. That's heroin, fentanyl, Dilaudid, animal tranquilizers, prescription painkillers, or illicit forgeries of some of these. Many, more than 42,000 people die from synthetic drug overdoses a year. This doesn't just happen overnight. As one author writes, in this country, it's much easier to get high than it is to get help. God forgive us for mistreating our bodies. But the question stands, how do I avoid all this? How do I treat my body like a temple? How do I present what I've been given back to God as what the Bible calls a living sacrifice? Because this truly might be new thinking, overwhelming for some of us in a culture of the flesh. Well, turn in those Bibles with me. Just a few verses earlier before our text this morning. I, we might have this one on the overhead as well. It's 1 Corinthians verse 12. Paul writes this. Paul says, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. He says, all things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Verse 13, food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. And this is where we're given some direction on these matters, this idea of Christian freedom. Us, it's not against God's word specifically to eat that chicken or that pie or those ding-dongs. The jury might be out on the ding-dongs. We hear that you are what you eat, but according to Paul, it's not what you eat, it's what you can't live without eating is the problem. Who do you serve? 
If we're serving as the body of Christ, it's not permissible for us to be slaves to food or anything else. And that's the problem today. Modern science proves that food can master us. The Mayo Clinic, in an article about emotional eating, actually describes food as potentially a physical distraction. Eating comfort food is an alternative to dealing with a potentially painful situation. Have you ever been guilty of depending on fill-in-the-blank, call it whatever, I don't care what you call it, instead of depending on God? I'm no uh, licensed psychologist or a psychiatrist, but if you believe you've taken your Christian freedom and become a slave to anything besides your maker, be in prayer about the issue. Because only he can ultimately establish your steps. Proverbs 16.9, amen? And aren't so many of our dependencies the result of too much physical and not enough spiritual? 2 Corinthians 4.18. How often do we ask, how does the use of this fill-in-the-blank put me in potential bondage? How often do you say, instead, the Bible doesn't expressly forbid this, so I must be okay to do it? I wonder, I wonder this morning, just think of how many physical body issues could become non-issues today. If Christians stop thinking, I can do what I want, and instead started asking, does this glorify God? Does this glorify my maker? I don't care what issue you want to discuss this morning. It just might help. Give it a name. Call it recreational marijuana, trans procedures, body modifications, extreme piercings, any hot topic that, that might challenge Christian thinking. But when we stop thinking of ourselves as completely free individuals who join a religious social club and instead start thinking of the church as one unified body of Christ, isn't it easier to answer the question, is this helpful? Whose body is it anyway? When I acknowledge that Jesus owns my body, it belongs to him, property of Jesus, when I recognize that God himself lives within me, this is God's temple. It's a little easier to understand what may be best for me instead of asking what I can get away with today. Do I really need that leaning tower of Pisa art between my shoulder blades? Whose body is it anyway? Some generations in the past have asked, what would Jesus do, right? We've heard that one. It seems as though the current one seems to be asking, what body do I self-identify with? How did we get there? Do you think if this generation were to really do something different, maybe uh, set up a physical, emotional, uh, sexual standard based on uh, what Jesus says about uh, ownership of the physical body, do you think if this generation followed through with, with that standard? Maybe, just maybe, the next generation would, would start asking not what body do I self-identify with or which bathroom is this body supposed to be using, but whose body is it anyway, amen? Instead, the church feeling overwhelmed by these cultural topics, not sure what to do with them, how to approach them. Why don't we start embracing what God's word has said for thousands of years? Wouldn't it be something to see a whole group of young people who start looking a little less androgynous, confused about body identity, instead looking a little bit more like the one who made two sexes, Jesus Christ. 
If you're a Christian today, you've been bought with a price, and that means your body, what you do with it, it's ultimately up to Jesus. Ultimately up to Jesus. But friends, if if you're convicted this morning that somehow maybe you've been mistreating what Jesus has, has had on loan to you ultimately, your physical body in some way, in any way at all, as a Christian, I encourage you, take that next step. Get whatever help you need necessary to get on the right path glorifying him. This week, this month, this year, take that step, difficult as it may be. If you'd like an immediate resource, uh, we actually do have one here at Ferris Church of Christ. If you feel it might be appropriate for you, it's the Daniel Plan Group. They meet right here in this room, 5 p.m. on Sunday nights. If you're tired of that uh, 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 church potluck diet and you'd like more information about this one, uh, they'd love to have you. Remember, our goal here is to start with the spiritual we start with the inside. We let God change us from the inside out. Amen? That, that's our goal here. That's what we do here. Some things are outside of that, outside of our, uh, what, we're, what we're trying to do. If there's any among us, and I, and I say us, again, I'm preaching to the one-man choir on this one. If there are any among us that, you know, we think about stewardship of what God's given us, think about the physical body, we shrug our shoulders a little bit. Besides considering all those physical calamities and health issues we're bound to run to if we don't take care of what God's given us, perhaps we should also consider the following. Do you realize the physical significance, historically speaking, of being a temple of the Holy Spirit of God? What that looks like. Turn to 1 Chronicles with me. Let's look at 1 Chronicles together in the Old Testament. I believe we've got this up there. Um, 1 Chronicles 29. This is what it looked like in the Old Testament. Powerful imagery for us today. David says in its planning stages, 1 Chronicles 29. He says, the work is great. For the palace will not be for man, but for the Lord God. So it deserves the very best, right? He continues this in verse 2. So I have provided for the house of my God, so far as I was able, the gold for the things of gold, the silver for the things of silver, and the bronze for the things of bronze. The iron for the things of iron, wood for the things of wood, besides great quantities of onyx and stones for setting, antimony, colored stones, all sorts of precious stones and marble. Your preacher can't even pronounce half this stuff. It must be fancy. David adds in verse 3, Moreover, in addition to all that I have provided for the holy house, I have a treasure of my own, of gold and silver, and because of my devotion to the house of my God, I give it to the house of my God. And then he goes on here. Look at all this detail, all this attention. 3,000 talents of gold, gold of Ophir, and then 7,000 talents of refined silver for overlaying the walls of the house and for all the work to be done by craftsmen, gold for the things of gold and silver for the things of silver. And then he asks this very important question. Who then will offer willingly, consecrating himself today? the Lord. Set himself aside for holy, for holiness. 
Think on this today. How what you do affects your body. Because today you've become that temple. You're a temple of God. If you're a Christian. The Old Testament temple, it's long since gone. And this building that we're in this morning, it's a beautiful building. It's been well taken care of. But this isn't God's temple either. This isn't even the church. This is just the place the church meets. As Christians, we are the place in which God dwells. You and I, you and me. Are we giving up the best of what we possibly can offer to God's temple? Is it too much to ask that we put out those cigarettes, cut back on the pop, let go of the worldly influences that we're putting inside of us, ease up on that mayonnaise at the church dinner and get up off the couch and get moving every now and again so that the body of Christ can be consecrated to the Lord? Whose body is it anyway? It belongs to he who gave himself up first for me, gave up his physical body. Will I be faithful, giving myself to Jesus? He may want to use this for something, but he can't because I've destroyed it. Will I be faithful, giving myself to Jesus so that he can use me physically as he wills? Who then will offer willingly, consecrating themselves today to the Lord? What can you do to make your body fit for the king? Would you pray with me? Oh God, I, I just I thank you this morning for all that you give to us. You're such a good and, and loving and, and giving God. We, we don't deserve life. Lord, we don't deserve each and every blessing that you give to us. Lord, you, Lord your, your holy word is, is full of all of these examples of people that have squandered what, what you've given them. Lord, we, we do it the same way today. So many of us, Lord, directly, indirectly involved in, in ministry, whether it's professionally or it's uh, you've called us to serve in another way, Lord. We don't take care of what you've given us. We separate physical from spiritual. Oh, Lord, we say that it doesn't make any difference how we treat ourselves. Lord, our body is a temple. Lord, I pray that Wherever we are this morning, Lord, if, if we take care of ourselves, if, we, if we're the stewards that you've called us to be, Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would uh, continue to encourage us in this manner. In this culture, Lord, it, it's difficult. It always has been, and that's why we have your word. But Lord, if there's, if there's areas in our life that we haven't given up to you, we haven't said, this is yours too, Jesus. Take it and use it as you will, not as I would want. I pray that you would convict us, God. 
Get us moving to serve you in all that we do. Help us, Lord, to make those sacrifices. They're difficult to us now. It's not easy to change. Lord, help us to rely on your promise that you've already changed us. Help us, Lord, to give ourselves up to you. Not just because we ought to bring you our very best, because you are holy. Not just because of this, Lord, but because of this, but also because there is a world that watches us. Lord, help us show them there is a different way. It's not that we have it our way, but that yours will be done. Lord, I thank you for your plan of the church. I thank you for the call and the example that we can meet. We can meet together in this place and we can grow together. Lord, we know we're going to make mistakes and we know there are going to be times that we maybe are, are paying the consequences for some of the mistakes of our past. That's okay, Lord. We know that, that you love us and, and you forgive us and Lord, those sins are as far as the east is from the west when we've brought them to you. Lord, help us to keep reaching out, keep making the effort. Because you love us so much in who we are, how we serve you is so important. Thank you, Lord, for this gift of these physical bodies for just a little while. Jesus' name, I pray these things. Amen. Ultimately, there's all kinds of things we can lean on. I've mentioned a few of them this morning. All kinds of diets and all kinds of uh, things that uh, people want to try to uh, sell to you. Some of them are good. Maybe some of them are not so good. Uh, we're not here to really give you that, um, that physical or that psychological uh, advice here today. But we are here to say God loves you and wants the very best for you. That he's called you to be holy as he is holy. If you have a public decision to make, and once again, where we're concerned, that all starts at Pentecost. That all starts when the Old Testament word of Joel was fulfilled. A spirit could be poured out on all of us that would go into those waters of baptism and come up forgiven new people to be consecrated to him. If you haven't made that decision yet, we invite you to come forward. There are those everlasting arms that each and every decision you could possibly make, you can take and lean to him. We invite you to do that as Brother Gerald comes forward. We stand and sing, leaning on the everlasting arms, that good old song.